Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Today we're focusing on things closer to home as we talk Britball. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. While we hope the NFL season will be good to go come September, the British season has sadly already been cancelled due to coronavirus. So we're joined by Martin Harrison, the new head coach of the Edinburgh Wolves, who's on to discuss what hasn't quite worked out to be the first season that he was expecting. So thanks for joining us, Martin. Uh, delighted to have you here. First of all, congratulations on getting that head coach job at the Edinburgh Wolves. Obviously, you've got big shoes to fill, literally, big, you know, absolutely <laughs> huge shoes on Don, size of a man that he was. Um, obviously, a tough job to do. And as we said at the top there, it's not quite worked out for how you thought year one would have gone. But we'll come on to that in a minute. We want to find out a little bit more about you, first of all. So, Paul, okay. you tend to ask the sort of same sort of question, so I'll let you lead this one. Thank you very much. Well, we know who you are and we know what you do. So how did you mm-hmm. get into American football? Go back go back a few years. How, how did it first get you? So I was, it was at university down in Brighton. Um, uh, well, actually at Sussex. So, And I was kind of, I was randomly wandering around a freshers' fair or a sports fair looking for something to do because I was in my second or third year and I just wanted to find something to do and being uh, a guy who was not let's say athletically inclined to play a lot of other sports I thought oh I'm a big guy this is a sport where big guys can play I'll go and play that and pretty much fell in love with it from practice one um, and it's been kind of an obsession <laughs> since since then they were going yeah which side of the ball attracted you which which position did you play so randomly, I first, my first season I played defensive line, but I moved to play centre uh, my second season, um, which is kind of where I stayed, uh, bar a couple of years where I decided that I would try and lose a bunch of weight and played linebacker. But centre is kind of the position on the offensive line that I played mostly uh, throughout my career, I guess you would say. Well, the NFL Scotland Dream Team is always looking for a good centre, so I think you're, you're <laughs> another chance here. So in terms of following the game, you know, on television or the American, you know, style of it, uh, which, which team caught your eye? Which team do you support? So I kind of started following the NFL a little bit when my uncle followed it in kind of the early 90s, and I was, what, like an eight, nine-year-old kid at the time. Um, so he kind of drew up a list of teams and said, who do, you, who do you think you want to follow? So I looked through the team names, <laughs> and that was literally what it was, and I saw uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm a big Crystal Palace fan, who are also called the Eagles, so I kind of went on to following Philadelphia from that point onwards. Um, I kind of only watched it for a little bit when I was younger, but once I got back into playing at university, I really got into getting back into that to that Eagles team uh, of the kind of the early Donald McNabb, Andy Reid kind of era stuff when I got back into it there. If you didn't play on the line like you did and you weren't of the physique that you are, um, <laughs> which position would have been the one that you were like, oh, I wish I could have played that role? Well, I wish I could throw. <laughs> like, I, I, it's one of the, the big foibles of trying to be a coach that can't particularly throw well. Um, but I do understand the inner workings of how an offense should work and reads and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, everyone says quarterback it is the thing. But I loved being on the offensive line. Um, just that kind of 
that kind of togetherness that that group of guys has and trying to have that kind of it's a completely different thing that you have in American football that you don't have in any other sport that kind of offensive line set up in there it's just phenomenal and then so from there then right let's let's go through your past history get all your accomplishments out on the table and we'll pick up on the wolf stuff and how you got that in a minute you obviously picked it up at college you went and played where did you go from there how what was your experience within playing american football in the uk that's ultimately led you to where you are now right oh god um so uh, i played for played at university at brighton for five years uh, and then went immediately to coach them during that time i also played during the summer for the sussex thunder and then when i finished i was still coaching down at brighton ended up moving up through being their offensive line coach to being their offensive coordinator and then i was their head coach for a year uh, and i moved back to london and the kind of commute and everything from london to brighton was quite a quite a drastic one and um, ended up carrying on playing for the for the kent exiles up there uh, so I played for them for, for a number of years and then ended up moving up to uh, Edinburgh uh, for, <laughs> let's say, getting out of London lifestyle reasons. But I wanted to get back into coaching. So I ended up getting a coaching position, a head coaching position at the uh, University of Edinburgh, um, where I just finished my fifth season. So that would take me kind of nicely to, to where I ended up wanting to get into the senior side of things. and was going to come in as an offensive coordinator and then kind of moved on to, to ended up being the head coach. I mean, that's pretty good. You're, you're coming with a solid coaching background. Ken Exiles, was that, is that Neil Reynolds? That was he, was he connected? There <laughs> the time? I, I don't have much of an overlap with, uh, with Neil, unfortunately. I know, obviously I know people who know, know Neil and I know, yeah. So, um, Tony Bainbridge, who was the head coach down there at the time is kind of my coaching mentor. If you like, he came and did a lot of coaching down at Brighton. Um, and was kind of my head coach at Kent uh, and sadly passed away just before I moved to Edinburgh. Um, but that kind of setup was kind of where I kind of learned a lot of my how to how to actually do coaching and be part of that, be part of a unit. Because um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, if, if you've played soccer growing up or you've played rugby growing up, you actually it's quite a natural thing because you understand the game from such an early age. But not getting into the game as a kid, but getting into it, um, at university, how quickly did you think, you know what, I really like the technical side of this as well as the playing side? Yeah, in terms of the in terms of the coaching and the kind of the, the kind of on the field thing, like the 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 old kind of cliche of the whole it's like chess with big people running into each other <laughs> just really, really fascinated me from that kind of uh tactical side of things. Um, as opposed to the kind of more free-flowing games that you get in, in football and rugby, that kind of aspect of it really interested me, which is why I think I ended up wanting to move into a kind of coaching coordinator type role because I thought, oh, this is somewhere where I can really affect the game much more than, than playing because I was average at best, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the old story, right? You don't need to have been the best player to make the best coach. And I often think, you know, at football at amateur level and, and coming up through the ranks, you can almost get away with blagging certain things. You can't really get away with blagging American football. You have got to know, you know, your schemes, the offense, the defense, exactly what you're trying to do. It's easy if your football say guys are playing a four four two, you play there, etc. But there's so much more to the, the technical components of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
yeah, it's just because uh, a lot of those sports, especially, you know, football is a lot more uh, instinctual on what is happening in, in the game and things can change based upon that. Whereas the, the kind of the setup of American football allows you to, allows things to be more structured in that. And that kind of tactical element from a coaching perspective makes me feel that you have a lot more input into what's going on on the field. So how did it feel to be appointed the, the head coach of the Edinburgh Wolves? It was obviously something, you know, the, the chance to move up a level, having coached at university level. Was it something that you'd always thought about or did it just come across as a chance and you took it? Um, it's it's definitely something I thought about as a kind of a long-term thing. Like if you'd have asked me two years ago, is it something that I think is going to happen in the next two years? Of course, of course not. Um, especially with a, with a stalwart such as, such as Don in place. Um, it's something I wanted to build towards. Um, I spoke, as I say, there was a position of, of coordinator that came up, I took, and then it was just a, a kind of the next step from there. I felt, I felt honestly that I was one of the best people that could, that was in position to take, take the role. And that's why, I, that's why I applied for it. So you, you obviously you have to realise you do need to come to an NFL Scotland event because all Edinburgh Wolves head coaches do that. But the good thing is you get to banjo Cameron under the guise of showing us a particular move or two. Cameron always loves to be on the opposite side of the ball, don't you, Cameron? I don't know how it ends up being me that's the dummy every single time. One of these times I'll learn. One of these times I'll, mm-hmm. I, it's me that books the people as well. I need to start booking smaller guys. This is obviously <laughs> when I when I heard that you were an offensive lineman, I was like, oh, for God's sake could someone not give me a punter as a head coach i've got half a chance maybe oh, who am i kidding um obviously though martin year one you know taking over from dawn an exciting opportunity and then the situation around us has resulted in the brit bowl season being cancelled which i think first of all certainly it feels like the right and understandable decision given the circumstances yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that I think we've kind of felt was was kind of inevitable going into, you know, not long after the the kind of the lockdown and everything that was kind of going on uh, with the virus. Um, just purely, partly because a American football is such a <laughs> there's so many kind of collisions and things that happen on the field that there's it trying to trying to maintain any kind of distance is pretty difficult. Um, but also in terms of the preparation time that's needed in order to get ready for an American football game would mean that we would have to start quite quite a lot earlier than it's not like potentially for say a, a football game or something else where you could probably have a couple of weeks of training and potentially and then be back ready to go with American football you need a lot more so it was it was something that felt that it was almost going to be inevitable that this was going to get going to get cancelled um, but yeah absolutely 100% the right decision so for you then personally, for year one, is that an overwhelming sense of frustration or does it give you the opportunity for you to start to implement some of your own stuff where you've got a longer time with your guys maybe thinking about the game rather than necessarily going straight out and playing it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a combination of the both and it's kind of because of the me kind of secretly kind of thinking this would be the case, I've had a lot more, I've had a lot of time to kind of deal with the, the frustration element of this being a season that's kind of gone gone by the wayside which is i thought we were doing a lot of really good stuff in the kind of january february time that i thought was going to put us in good stead but at the same time uh there was no kind of preparation for myself kind of coming into uh coming into that pre-season from a from a head coaching perspective and so yeah this extra additional time to prepare for 2021 
uh, from an organisational setup is is definitely beneficial. How do you plan to keep the players together as, as a team, if you like? Because you know, there's always the chance that people go away and find other things to do with their time. What, what's the plan to try and keep your core together? So we we are planning on on doing a lot of stuff in terms of um, as much of this kind of online platform as we can over the summer. Um, we've had a really good um, kind of uh, team with uh, a ATS who run our kind of strength and conditioning side of things. So they put together some programs that can that people are doing over the summer to try to maintain them or get back into shape or whatever it would be. And I'm I'm going to start running some uh, clinics in terms of just some, some kind of understanding, building that kind of football IQ for these guys when we come forward and using that as a kind of way just to keep in touch with people. Um, every single time I've posted anything on any of our social media, like the response has been quick and uh, kind of overwhelming in terms of how much people seem to want to get back into doing stuff. So I don't think there's anything in, anything there in terms of, People like looking looking elsewhere at the minute. Obviously, we're in a situation where this is the the kind of least important thing for for a lot of people. But it's something that people are grasping to get back into. So trying to keep them together, I don't think is is as big an issue as I thought it would be. It's an interesting point that you make there, and it's you know it's it's interesting from our point of view because we're very much looking forward to the NFL season. We very much hope that it comes back, and yeah, there's almost that weight of the insignificance of sport in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, it's so important to have something to look forward to, something to keep you going. That the the light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what you're going through at the moment, and you know there'll be people who've gone through such bad times that sport coming back will have zero impact and zero benefit to them. That's the least of their worries but I think collectively you know we all definitely want to get back to some kind of routine and normality um if you know and we're already starting to talk about that now you can see sport certainly down south there's chat about bringing back the the football at the top divisions um in Scotland we're talking about the Scottish football coming back maybe in August you know it means that there's going to be maybe some opportunity to do something this year are you working on any plans to try and do something later in the year? Or are you or have you written it off completely already? And is it going to be very much the Wolves focusing just on the Wolves? Uh, so I, I think for now it's going to be the Wolves focusing on the Wolves just because of the, the plans are going to be so up in the air as to what ends up happening with certain things. We've got some plans in terms of what we want to do, in terms of getting the recruitment going and getting out there and... Um, looking into to when we get back into practicing and stuff like that and do we have do we use this time now because we won't have to have um kind of that extended off season post uh, post season where we you know we're recovering and doing all that kind of stuff we can actually get back into practice a little bit earlier try and get the guys up in terms of teaching them the fundamental side of things trying to get that at a higher level um we're, it's all in discussion at the minute but i think we're looking at kind of trying to trying to build that, trying to build the culture, trying to get everything right um, as early as we can, so that we can have that process rolling when we come back properly in January next year. I'm finding this quite fascinating that there is so much planning going on. I'm not going to offer you a scrimmage against the NFL Scotland team because I think that would be unfair <laughs> this early in your 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 head coaching career. But you have been a head coach in other places. So, so tell me, what's the thing that you've learned most from your previous experiences that you think, I will take this forward into my role with the Edinburgh Wolves? 
Um, one of my main things that I kind of try and preach, and it's definitely, it's from a case of, I know this from not only from a head coaching perspective, but I know it from a personal, no, like I have a kind of no player left behind mentality because even though somebody may not be good now, give them time, put the work in, and they might be really, really good in three, four years time, especially with American football. It's such a new sport that you never know what's going to happen with somebody. It's interesting from a recruitment point of view, you touched on there um, and you're you're talking about getting guys through the fundamentals and stuff like that. Is that something that you're actively reaching out to the universities? Obviously, you've got your connection there from where you've been before. Are the Wolves keen to work more with the university teams to try and build some kind of natural progression beyond graduation and into the overall Wolves team? Yeah, I mean, obviously, university has the, the kind of the, the thing, especially with Edinburgh, where I'm where I'm where I was head coach before that a lot of people don't actually live in the local area but and the season seems to run during their exams so there's always a bit always a bit of a funny one with with university students but it's something we definitely want to build that relationship we've got three university teams in edinburgh um more in the local area sterling have been national champions for god knows how many years uh out the last three or four um and so we need to start building those relationships. Not only that, the big key, and it's the key that you've seen from the, all of the teams that have been really successful within British American football. So with the two London, the London Blitz, London Warriors, with the Kent Exiles, and um, with Tamworth um, and others, and Manchester are starting to build in that certain ways that you build from the kind of youth program upwards. And then... Um, so that's something that we want to we want to build that as a kind of a family with all bringing in and working together as all of the university teams, the Edinburgh Wolves, and all of the kind of youth and junior setups. So there's a big shout out to um, Sam Stoddard and the rest of the guys that he runs that runs a team uh, over in over in the west, uh, the Edinburgh Napier Knights youth and junior team, and they've they've exploded in terms of their numbers he's doing such a good job in terms of getting that so we want to build those relationships with those guys in order to have that this kind of pipeline that kind of builds uh american football in edinburgh and the wolves have been the number one team now in scotland for a couple of years they've managed to solidify that place in the premiership obviously the east Kilbride pirates were there for such a long time they've gone down i'm sure will be frustrated at the the fact that they've not got the opportunity to try and fight their way back up but i'm sure you know a great group of guys over there that are doing a fantastic job it's brilliant to have two top teams in Scotland. Beyond that, there's more and more teams all the time. We've got teams in Dunfermline, Dumfries, Aberdeen. You know, we've had teams in Dundee in the past. There's a team way up in the Highlands. Um, there's Clyde Valley. You know, the, it's great that there's loads of people playing the game. Do, do you think you've seen a substantial growth in the interest in people wanting to play in Scotland over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, going, going back even further than that, I remember when I first started playing, the interest was barely anything. And... With obviously with the NFL being at Wembley and all, and everything else that kind of gone up with the kind of profile of the NFL has brought that kind of interest much more into um, into what we, what we do as term in in terms of recruitment of players and things like that. So because at the end of the day, I've been I was fortunate in kind of I've mostly spent most of my recruitment time at university and university you can recruit people just like I did who were just wanting to find something to do at university and you can kind of get them into that side of things and then get them into american football that way whereas 
recruitment for, for the Wolves and everything else, you probably have to have some interest in American football um, already. And the NFL is the way in for that. Um, so you build the, if that builds up in terms of the knowledge around the sport that way, then that's how we can, we can have a, a much bigger pool of people, to, guys to go for. And that was going to be my sort of follow up question, actually, is, you know, if, if, if there's anyone listening to this right now who's thinking, I've always quite fancied giving it a go, what would your advice to them be? And what is it that you're looking for in somebody for them to be somebody who is a viable person that's worth you seeing and getting them along? For the first first thing first is commitment. Um, like, as I said before, um, like I have a policy of, of no no kind of player left behind, but we do, obviously we're a premiership outfit, so we are looking for good athletes that we want to get in, in, in the door so that, that we can actually, within a certain time period, get up to playing at a high level. But if you commit, if you come to us and you put in the effort and you put in the work and you listen to the coaching and do everything that we ask of you, then then that's all we're asking for, really. When it comes to it, skill sets, is there any particular skills that you're looking for? So obviously commitment's a big <laughs> part of it, but you know, if if you've got any of the following sort of attributes, you know, is, is it down to that level or is it really just anybody who's got the determination is worth having a look at? anyone who's got the determination is definitely worth having a look at obviously if you're <laughs> if you're six foot five uh 280 pounds and can run a four three forty then we'll, we'll definitely take you on but um <laughs> but yeah if you if you if you have the skill set if you played uh rugby at a decent level then that's a fantastic way in because uh as we all know the Seattle Seahawks re- uh, invented rugby tackling so that's worked out quite well for, for us as, in terms of trying to recruit players um, but yeah, that kind of that kind of uh, element of uh, any kind of contact sport that you played before, even at a youth level. I mean, I grew up playing rugby, so I had that kind of contact sport background, but I never played American football. It's a good way in. Uh, obviously, there's a preference in there in terms of those those kind of bigger guys because it's it's a sport that requires those kind of bigger guys that push people around. We're historically quite a big team at the Edinburgh Wolves, um, but lineman types are always tough to come by and um, so if you're if you're in that if you're in that category you're at a, at a distinct advantage but we're looking for people for all shapes sizes whatever else and martin how as a club you've outlined what you're looking to do on the field with the current squad and things like that how do the edinburgh wolves sort of keep in touch with former players is there a former players network is there a sort of alumni of so you often see that in you know american sport and college there's a big thing about you know the people who have gone before can you tap into that that's something we're definitely definitely hoping to do so in terms of trying to trying to build out build out that network um obviously me being pretty brand new to the walls it's not something i have direct access to um but it's something that we do need to build out so if there are uh, ex-Edinburgh Wolves that are listening in, then feel free to get in contact. And then what about the club off the field then as well? You know, what what are you, are the Wolves actively trying to expand, you know, their presence in the community and things like that? Um, you know, what are the goals for the overall club over not just this year, which is sort of from a playing point of view, a write-off, you know, over the next two or three years, what are the sorts of things that you're hoping to be able to deliver um, as part of the Edinburgh Wolves team that you've taken over? So, um, 
a lot of this work now coming through our for our chairman Andy Bork and a few and the committee guys that are coming in there. One of the good things that we started to build um, throughout the um, throughout the team is that we're now we've now relocated. We're now based at Peffermill, um, which is a lot more centrally located than we were before, which helps us in in kind of building our our brand and our all the things we want to do uh, as a club. Um, we've built a, a very good relationship with them. They're obviously Edinburgh Uni's sports um, venue. Um, so they're looking to do a lot of work and they're bringing us in on the, the ground level of that in terms of what we want, what stuff we want. So we've got that kind of the, from a facilities level, we've got that in there. And, um, and as I said, what the plan as a club and what we want to do is in terms of a long-term future is we want to build a kind of Edinburgh Academy of American football, for want of a better word. Um, so that we have this kind of all layers of different elements of the sport of American football, all kind of under an umbrella with what we see as a team that is at the pinnacle of the sport at the top of that. Martin, just, just a couple of things before we finish. You've outlined you know, your thoughts, your hopes for the club, how, the ethos. Everything in life takes money. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, how are the wolves funded, and and can't you know? Do you think you will have the funding to do some of the things you want to do? We're we're very lucky in terms of we've got some very uh, very good sponsors as well. But obviously, a lot of stuff is is player driven, and um, it just it just has to be uh, that way. And um, as you build up through all these things, it is something we do hope in terms of building up that kind of extra extra ways of, of bringing in funds we, we one of the good things that Peffermill was going to do for us was they've got a stand with a proper pitch which they use for their um for their first rugby team that we could then use that to kind of actually get people through the door to actually come and see us which doesn't it which obviously builds us in terms of financials and all that other kind of stuff and try and also builds the game uh, as a spectacle um within within Scotland and within Edinburgh well, we certainly hope that that works out. Uh, we understand the frustration of not being able to to actually get on the field. But if we were to have you back this time next year, what would you have hoped to have achieved? Wow. Um, so this time next year, we'll hopefully be somewhere middle of the season. Um, so I would be hoping that we have, at that point, established ourselves as a team that is is competing if not trying to trying to win the division but at least is you know challenging those teams at the top um still remaining that position of that, that number one team in scotland as we should be um and being kind of seen as a presence within within the community of of of, of people knowing who we are and what we're trying trying to achieve as a club and having as many people on board with that as possible yeah, absolutely. And listen, it sounds like the Wolves are in very good hands. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we were lucky enough to have Don a couple of times. He's done a brilliant job with the Wolves. An exciting new era ahead under your leadership, and we're excited to see how it pans out. Um, we will get you back uh, before the season starts to chat some actual NFL. But Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we wish you all the very, very best. And of course, as we always do, you know, we will help promote the Wolves when it comes to recruitment, uh, as we do with a lot of the top teams in Scotland. So when we got the details of that stay tuned to the nfl scotland twitter feed and our facebook page we'll have all of that information but martin thank you for joining us thank you very much
Great to have Martin there. Great to hear that the Wolves seem like they're in good hands. He's got, as we said at the top, massive shoes to fill with Don obviously taking the opportunity, taking his time to step away from that role. He's done it for so very long. The growth that the Wolves have gone through under his leadership was massive. Martin feels, though, like a good, safe pair of experienced hands that can continue to carry on that torch for the Edinburgh Wolves. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, Don's done a great job as you mentioned he's grown so much uh felt the time had come for change and i don't think they're taking a big chance and i don't think it's the time to take a big chance they're bringing a guy who knows what he's doing they're in a good way camera i think they're, they're ready to continue growing now we will of course keep our eye close to this you know we are the nfl scotland podcast but we do like to focus in a little bit on the scottish teams as well so we've spoken to the wolves there we will try and speak to some of the other teams over the summer to find out what they're doing for preparations and to keep themselves busy in 2020 with an eye on 2021 as well so you know there is a number of teams out there whether you fancy giving it a go yourself whether it be full contact whether it be flag there's teams across the country now uh you can get involved and as martin says there you know largely the the number one thing that you need is determination you know a bit of commitment someone that's going to actually turn up and go along and is willing to learn you know they're the attributes more than anything else that give you the starting blocks to to potentially go and play american football so you know there's some great teams with some great people involved anything that we can do to support them here at the nfl scotland podcast we will absolutely do so um but paul other news items taking your fancy flacco to the jets i found interesting uh, it's obviously Denver have decided time to move on. They're going to stick with what they've got. Uh, to the Jets, he's obviously going in to do the, the mentor role, and he's obviously suited to do that. I think he's comfortable in his own skin camera, and he's a, a you know, Super Bowl winner. And I think if you're a Super Bowl winner at quarterback, you can go anywhere you want, and you, you've got the right to basically say, I've nothing to prove to anybody. Now, we had an off-air discussion with Gordon McGuinness on this one um, in the NFL Scotland podcast WhatsApp channel, and an interesting debate took place. Um, I, do you know what? I think brilliant backup, absolutely brilliant backup to have. And yes, I agree. I think the experience for Sam Darnold will be excellent. Someone who he can learn from, a different opinion, someone with all those years in the game. Uh, and Joe Flacco is a very good quarterback. I think that he's obviously not had such a great couple of years. Um, I say very good. I, I would put him middle of the pack. Um, I don't think he's an elite quarterback. I don't know that he ever has been. There's this whole thing about, yeah, you know, you touched on it there. As soon as you win a Super Bowl, that's it. You're suddenly held in the highest of regard. Um, I likened it to, I think the best example I could bring it back to was Stevie May for St. Johnston winning the Scottish Cup. You know, there's no way St. Johnston are winning that Scottish Cup without Stevie May. But at the same time, Stevie May is not a player that you're desperately thinking, oh, well, he can go to the Premiership and do it with, amongst the best. You know, it's, it's one of those ones where the right player in the right team at the right time can achieve great things. And I think that Joe Flacco is the perfect example of that type of player. Yeah, and I say I think he, he's still got a lot to offer. He'll do a job. You know, should Sam Darnold be injured or fall ill, you would trust him to go in and win you a few games. So it's not just all about mentorship, but you've got to think that Sam Darnold's going to come out of this a better quarterback. The Jets are going to come out a better team. Therefore, I, I think it's a really smart move. Yeah, definitely. And um, the other thing that we've seen happen, of course, is this is the, well, 
it's a weird time because it's not everything's necessarily in the order that it would normally take place. But we've had the some of the league meetings, some of the votes about rule changes. Um, one of the ones that was proposed was a rule to the uh, a change, sorry, to the the Rooney rule, which would see uh, teams potentially benefit from additional pick placings if they were to take a minority head coach uh, and recruit them. Um, there's been a number of things being looked at. That rule being voted down feels like the right outcome from that one, Paul? Cameron, I don't think there was any way this was going through. I think it was a dumb suggestion, given the fact that you're trying, you know, if you, if you get a job as, as a head coach and you happen to be black and you move up 10 places in the draft, you're tainted. That draft player is tainted as well. Now, I don't disagree with the ethos that people should be encouraged to work in the NFL and that gender, colour, sexuality, whatever, shouldn't be a barrier. Remove all the barriers for everybody. But I think, you know, specifically saying, you know, if you hire a black coach or a minority coach, you go up six places in the draft, that coach is immediately tainted. Are they being hired just to try and get somebody a better draft pick? I don't honestly think that would be the case, but there's a taint that comes to that. I've always had a problem, Cameron, with the phrase positive discrimination. I think it's an oxymoron. I just do not believe in it because if you discriminate against anybody, you are discriminating. I think we do need to try and level up the playing field for everybody. I get that the NFL would like to see more minority coaches. And why not? The vast majority of the players are what you would class as minorities. Let's get on. I'm, I'm also uncomfortable with this this labelling of people. I just see people as people for who they are. Let's make sure there's no barriers in the way to anybody getting a job that they want. Let's not slight anybody. You know, they're, they're slighting certain things by saying you've got to bring people from outside the building. If you've got your head coach who's retiring and you've got the obvious successor in your building, that's who you've groomed. Why do you have to go through the charade of, of interviewing people? It's not ideal. It never will be ideal. But I think that there's better ways to do these things. And one of them is, and I think it's a brilliant change, Cameron, is they've, there were several ways in which you could block employees of your team pursuing a head coaching job, a coordinator's job, or a general manager's job. Now, they've taken those restrictions away. That just doesn't help minorities. That helps absolutely everybody because I thought that was a restriction of trade to a certain degree. Now, you could argue if these people have signed contracts, they should stay there. It, it's complicated, Cameron, I, and I think some people try to distill this down into some simple argument. It's not a simple argument. We could have a whole podcast on this. We could talk for hours about this because it is so interesting how you actually go around solving what people perceive to be problems. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it's it, you're you're right in that this is a massive complicated issue. And this isn't something that's just impacting the NFL. This is something that is a very, uh, you know, a big factor in industries across the world um, around equality uh, and around encouraging more people who previously perhaps weren't naturally in these positions to be able to get into these positions as, we, uh, you know, the modern world realises that... <laughs> And let's be honest, there has been a long time of old boys clubs. So, I mean, I, I, I'm I, off the thoughts that the, the only one point that you raised that I would disagree with is the, the whole lining up someone internally piece, just purely because 
if you're someone with great skills and you've not happened to get yourself internally, then you're immediately, you've got no chance. You know, you want to be able, you want to be given that opportunity to go in and pitch yourself to somebody. Um, you know, if and I've known people who have found it very difficult in certain industries outside of sport to get into places because there is a, a lot of people just promote within. Now, actually, the fact to that is, well, that's a good thing that you're promoting within because when you're working somewhere, you want to have that career ladder. So right away, you've got, you've got the opposite ends of that where somebody's going to feel hard done to. The person who's on the inside is always going to feel like, well, hang on, I've been working for five years for this job or however long. You know, this is this is what I've been I've spent five years of my life fighting to this, and then some Johnny come lately comes along and steals it off me. Well, the Johnny come lately on the outside's maybe been working for ten years on the background, honing himself, but has never had the opportunity to get into an an organisation to do what you've done for the last five. Therefore, there's always a, a lens that you can put this through where it looks off. I agree with the whole. I don't think incentivising it is the right thing to do, because yes, you result in this situation where you you create. Um, weird scenarios and yeah you just add doubt and more pressure onto people and I don't think that's fair I actually don't think that would be fair on the minority coaches to have that and people chuck that at them unfairly they should be there because they're the right people for the job because they're quality coaches who can help take the teams to the next level those guys are out there um and it's just a case of like right how do you address it and Sometimes I feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a super quick fix here, whereas actually you almost need to take it back and build this from its foundations up the way. And it might take you a couple of years to see the outcomes of it, but focus in on that as much as just the end result and actually change the way that it works at every single level. Because if it only is at the top and then everything underneath isn't working to the same levels or the same rules, it's false and it's going to fall down. It's going to fall down in its first possible opportunity. So, you know, it's it's good that they're looking at this. It's great that they're looking at positive change and they're looking to make things better, uh, more open, more inclusive. That's something that we can absolutely all welcome. Um, but yeah, it did feel like, you know, an extra 10, uh, 10 picks up in the third round and an extra six up in the if you take a GM and all that kind of stuff was starting to get like, hang on a minute, right? What's going on here? Um... And then, yeah, it's just open open to teams taking the mickey with this as well. Like, you know, oh, let's take the extra boost and then let's just change someone halfway through the season or something like that. You know, there's just so much could be potentially uh, manipulated with it that it's just, yeah. No, it wasn't the right outcome, but I think that it came from the right place. Yeah, remove all obstacles for everybody yes. to progress. Make it a level playing field. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's, certain industries have got that old boys club feel, but that that's history. You know, come to now and let's see what can we do now. You know, I think people sometimes over-focus on the past. Here we are now. How do we make it a level playing field for all regarding, regardless of colour, gender, sex, etc.? And how do we take that forward? You want the best person for the job to get the job. Meritocracy, for me, rules. I don't believe in positive discrimination, but I do not believe in any form of discrimination either. I mean, should we argue that we, every team should carry a white cornerback? Because basically there aren't any. You know, it, it, where do you actually go? This, this is what... You know, I've seen some of the counter arguments like that. You think that's insane. Let's just get 
a level playing field for all and let's make sure that people can get apply and get the jobs that, that they're desperate to get because if you are talented you will come through and you will shine now one point that somebody did make I think it was on the around the NFL podcast is you know if the owners aren't diverse how are you going to get diverse staff Owners want to win. You'll bring in the best people to make sure your franchise wins. I think that would be 95% of them would have that would have that outcome. I couldn't care less. You know, I mean, the Saints, you know, Sean Payton goes, I don't care what colour the Saints head coach is. I just want the best possible head coach. And I think the vast majority of people feel like that as well. Yes, indeed. Hopefully so. Certainly, hopefully. So. I hope so as well. Yeah. <laughs> sticking yeah. with sticking with New Orleans, the Superdome is up for renaming. Um, <laughs> Mercedes Benz have decided that Atlanta is the only place for them, and they're pulling out of New Orleans. No, I don't think it, it's quite like that. But <laughs> I, well, it, Atlanta's half the price, obviously. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, come on. So we put a message out on Twitter to ask people um, what they thought. Uh, would be the best name for the Superdome. You know, if it was up to you, what would you call it? So we'll run through a couple of these. So Noel got in touch to say, if they'd waited a year for Breeze to retire, they could have given it to the new era. Because the new era Superdome would have had a weirdly cool vibe to it. Um, I don't think you want to even start thinking about a new era in New Orleans, Paul. Um Christopher Lawton got in touch. <laughs> he said it'll obviously be a sponsor's name, but if it wasn't, he would have the Cajun Corral, the Bourbon Dome, the Big Easy Dome, the Jambalaya Dome, the 1500 Sugar Bowl Drive, the Creole Corral, or something like that. Um, the Baba Gump Shrimp New Orleans Superdome, says Matt. <laughs> I um, like that one. Yep. Sean gets in touch. He says the Borough Dome, the Louisiana Dome, the Tiger Dome. Obviously, just kidding. Depends on who the sponsor would be. Uh, the Tesla Dome sounds all right. The Tesla Dome. Um, I don't know that you want Elon Musk anywhere near you. Uh, Barry gets in touch. I'm a big fan of this one. The George Kittle Superdome. Well, he did own it and the Saints last year. Um, the Drew Brees Superdome says... Uh, ha- hang on one second, Karen. I'm, I'm just blocking him on Twitter. <laughs> David Old says the Drew Brees Superdome. And then we start to get to some of the other ones. Uh, McDude says Turt House. Um, <laughs> Stuart says the Bobag Megadome. Uh, Neil says the Kleenex Dome. Um, so, yes, we're going well here. Lauren Callahan, he says the NFL Officials Appreciation Society Superdome. Uh, Polly, our resident Bucks fan, the Jameis Winston Appreciation Bowl has a ring to it. On second thoughts, scrap the ring. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Marty says, super dump. Um, Bripey says, Chokesville. Uh, we're doing really well here. Um, the So, <laughs> the full 10 yards had said the Golf Tavern. Um, or the Gulf Tavern because it's near the Gulf of Mexico. So I, I like what they did there with our sponsors. So, you know, that's that's a good little pitch into that. Um, but we obviously saw as well that, I'm trying to remember the name of the business, there was an adult in the uh, adult entertainment company had said that they were interested in doing it. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Well, well to, to, to be fair, Cameron, they got a little bit overexcited and they have withdrawn. <laughs> I just thought it was an obsession in New Orleans about somebody getting screwed. I thought that's <laughs> what... <laughs> um, so yes, the naming, the naming opportunity remains. Not sure what it will be. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? What would you like to see? 
I, I mean, to be fair to Mercedes, they're a classy sponsor and it was always good. But to me, it's the Superdome. I don't care as long as it's not a dumb sponsor. I mean, you and I were next door to the Superdome when we were in New Orleans at the Smoothie King Centre. Uh, I'd, I'd like to avoid something as naff as the Smoothie King Centre, although I mean, Smoothie King is a huge, huge business. I don't think we, we quite appreciate here. I mean, the Cajun Corral I really liked. I, I, I would go with that. Um, it's interesting because it'll always be known as the Superdome. It's a hard one for a sponsor. It was a bit like when the Giants in baseball moved from Candlestick to what they then called Three Com Park. Or sorry, they, they they renamed that one Three Com Park, and you know their their broadcaster got into trouble because he just kept calling it Candlestick Point, which was the geographical reference because he he hated the the reference to Three Com. Just yeah, so some of these things are naff. I mean, th- certain things are cool, like Coors Field in baseball, you know, because it's Colorado. It sounds pretty neat and pretty cool. Others are a bit more clunky. Um, you know, I mean, you still call it the Meadowlands, not necessarily, you know, the, the, the title MetLife. You know, it's the Meadowlands. Some places are just too good for a sponsor to overtake them. And I think that's what you'll see. It will always be the Superdome, no matter what. I think if, yeah, it is a Superdome. I almost feel like you got to get something that rhymes with it. The Google Chrome Superdome or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's the for me, it's the only thing that you could do is find something that rhymes and, and go with it. I like rhyming. I don't know why. Uh, it just pleases my soul. Right. <laughs> um, we're about to wrap up then. But before we do, you'll see that we posted a tweet, or you may have seen that we posted a tweet. Um, we're thinking about starting an NFL Scotland Fantasy League this year. We've never done it. We will, of course, keep our pick on. You know, we need to. Brian Dando's got that pick king of Scotland crown. Someone's got to take him off him. Um, we will be doing that as ever, of course. We are thinking about doing a fantasy league as well, though. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So it would be the six members of the NFL Scotland team, four Scottish sporting celebrities who we've got lined up. And then we would reach out and every year offer two places to two listeners who wanted to take part. Um, we would then ask people to pitch themselves to us. Uh, we would we would pick the best two and they would join the Fantasy League for the year ahead. Um, one of the things that we might do with this is we might do a podcast about that when we do our draft and things like that and chat through. We might even record our draft and turn it into something. I don't know. We're, we're working through the plans for this. But this is where we need you guys to get involved. Let us know what you would like to hear. You know, Would you be interested in taking taking part hopefully if you weren't taking part would you be interested in hearing what we were doing in our fantasy league genuinely don't know whether or not that's of interest to you guys out there so if it would be let us know if not and you think that's a load of old crap no thank you tell us and we'll not do it so you know this is a podcast that we want to put together for you guys to enjoy so you know do get in touch with us tell us what you do and what you do not want to hear us talking about Anyway, that's the full-time whistle, though, for episode 102. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time, but need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet, every share. We love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. Do stay in touch. We've got more episodes coming very soon, so stay tuned. We are working on more plans for some other things as well to come in 2020. We will come out and reach out to you when we've got more information to get your opinions on those too. Some exciting stuff ahead, that's for sure. Thank you to Martin for joining us. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back next week, but until then, bye for now.